Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday the 25th of the 11th, 2020, still. So, a couple of stories here. Amnesty International, we talked about in the last time that they had put up a letter that called for the removal of political representation from those with bigoted groups, or for, from women and LGB groups. They have issued a response to it, so I want to go through that because I've also been trying to reach out to Amnesty and trying to chase up some stuff with the National Women's Council of Ireland. And it's just, I'd like to keep this going because why not, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. Keep it. Keep it. Keep the it flying. Stoke the, the fire. Of, the essence of journalism, Michael, is afflicting the comfortable. And there are few people more comfortable or in need of a good afflicting. But is the other half of that comforting the afflicted? I've never been really into that part. That's more my job because I'm I'm the, I'm the empathetic one. So we will we will get onto that. There's and obviously Fianna Fáil have now decided to make the housing crisis worse by banning particular types of housing. And one of the key key committees of the Dáil is now about to collapse under the force of the Seamus Wolf thing. But before we go on to that, I wanted to mention a little story that's doing the rounds, and it's about a school in Carlow. And I will open by saying. This should not be national news. I don't think so, anyway. I think, it, I think it should be barely Carlo news. But it is now national news, and it's being... RTE have covered it, The Independent have covered it, and News Talk, The Journal, they've all covered it, and it's it's gone around Twitter, and it's getting pretty nasty. And what is alleged to have happened is that... Um, oh, and sorry, Labour have called for a formal apology over this this matter. So what has happened is that there was a school in Carlow and it was reported by a local newspaper, which seems perfectly reasonable because it's a local newspaper. Local news. Local news for local people. So yes, the, the Carlow Nationalist, which is a very old-fashioned name and probably going to be pressured to change that at some point, reported it. And what was alleged to have happened was that they say that at a particular secondary school in County Carlow, all of the female students were pulled out class after class, year after year, and told not to wear tight leggings because this would be distracting to the male teachers. And this, of course, caused a firestorm, Michael, an absolute firestorm. Makes uh, yes. Dresden look like kindling in comparison mm. of outrage about it. And it's been reported widely around the media and it is it is doing the rounds. Now, my problem with this story is this, Michael. Yes? No one has actually been able to show that this happened. And in fact, the more I look into it, dodgier it seems. But it's being reported in pretty much every major news source in this country. I don't think the Irish Times has an article up on it so far. And I think that might just be because the Irish Times takes itself that little bit more seriously and also doesn't want to be sued. Which, if this school only has, let's say, one male PE teacher, as would be fairly normal for small enough schools, uh, someone is getting sued over this. I, it, first of all, to reiterate, how is this news? Even if every single item in this story is true, and worse even than reported, I don't see how in the name of God this is national news, but it is. Secondly, isn't it also interesting that... The speed at which everybody has to come to the story, report the story, 
and come to a judgment on it. One national newspaper, I think, is a, has written an editorial on the subject. Very censorious one. Now, when I saw this story first, which was before I talked to you, and before I saw John McGurk's comments on it, so I, I, I can feel I, 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 I got it was uninfluenced. I read it. I poked around, and I just retweeted the tweet that came to my time with the comment. Yes, I believe this story. Now, it may turn out, Gary, it may turn out to be exactly as reported, but I can't see anything except vague, well, this and that, and well, there's nobody is named, nobody's on the record, and it's all very Durban Lumga Durban Lay. It's all very hearsay, and it's relying on, a, so far as we can see, a 16 year old reporting something she heard to parents who then reported it to someone else. Now, I would suggest to you, having been a teacher, that what you say, even not even in groups, but even directly, face to face, intently, to a 16 year old, and what they will say back to you, what you said to them, can be wildly at variance, without any malice or malintent or bad faith. But, you know, teenagers have a way of hearing things. So it's possible that in the transport from the discussion to the parents home that some of the water of the truth may have splashed out and been lost upon the way so the way this is being reported is that this happened absolutely happened so i went looking for the original quotes because no one is quoted in this and they don't identify the person who is alleged to have said that this was done uh, because male teachers were uncomfortable and that's a bit weird because usually you would say you know it was a teacher in fifth class if you didn't want to name them. Yeah. Because if hundreds of students, potentially, Michael, or however many are in the school, were pulled out and told these things, that should, um, you know, that should carry some witnesses. And I would note at this point that while this is an absolutely unimportant story for the most part, it's interesting in that it is now being repeated across the media. And it seems at this point that the media isn't even quoting anyone in the school. They're quoting other media pieces. So we went back and we found the first media piece in The Nationalist. And Michael, you might be shocked that that has a slightly different quote. Oh yes. So it doesn't say that... Um, so the actual quote is, it, it comes from one of the parents of a 16-year-old girl who said that she wanted to be anonymous. So the parent didn't want her name on it. And she said... The older girl said that uh, they were told they should have more respect for themselves and basically that they were using their bodies to distract the male teachers. Now, Michael, the word basically. Basically. Coming from a third-hand source, that can do quite a lot of heavy lifting. Quite a, quite a lot. There's a lot of interpretive work possibly going on there. I, I, I was saying to you earlier, I've actually been, to my surprise... I'm getting a series of texts and WhatsApps from te teachers here and, in fact, a couple in Carlo saying that they were outraged at the way it was being reported. I have, as listeners, regular listeners will know, I have family members who are in, 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 in education here in primary and secondary level, and I myself have been in prime, private schools and I've subbed. I have lots of friends who are teachers. I, I can't. I, I just can't imagine the circumstances in which a teacher would say, students, female students, that they were dressing in such a way that would distract male teachers. I, 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 unless the 
teacher was drunk. Now, possibly, I don't know. There is a possibility here. One that the one that doesn't suggest itself to me is that the person was making a joke, and never, never discount the possibility that people don't understand the danger of trying to be funny, because that will get you in trouble. It got, it's got me in trouble more than once. It's possible the person was making a joke. The joke backfired. It was misunderstood, slightly misreported, and this is where we are. But otherwise. Schools today, where teachers are painfully aware that when you go to a student to look at their at their work at their desk, you don't put your hand on the back of the desk because that would be you'd be potentially having your arm around the student or near the student. You don't touch students. Teachers are so aware of safety rules and you just plain things like insurance, but also you know, proper proper procedures regarding your know, child protection issues and all that. I can't. I just can't imagine how a teacher would make that kind of mistake. Now, if a mistake was made, then the only thing was either the teacher was drunk, which is not a good thing when giving an assembly, Gary. The other thing is, if this is an assembly, I would be surprised, not, this may not be the case necessarily, that if there, that if you say had a group of classes in, that there, there might have been, a, a, in, in addition, there might have been a class tutor a, a, along with a year head or a vice principal or a principal or present. That, because if there was another teacher present and somebody said that, anything like that, I can't imagine the other teacher would not have gone directly to the teacher and said, for God's sake, don't say that again. Because... Some of the reporting has suggested this happened repeatedly throughout the day to a number of different classes. The other thing I found is interesting. News Talk put up a note that was put in in the college itself, in Presentation College Carlow, which is the school in question. And the note says this, Michael. In the college, an assembly was held on the 20th of November 2020, in which girls from every year were called out to be told they could no longer wear any form of tight tracksuit bottoms or leggings. Right. In every other instance where there is a change in school policy, all students are informed regardless of gender. What doesn't that mention, though, Michael? It doesn't mention anything to do with male teachers being distracted by tight-fitting clothing. It doesn't. And from asking around people, I've been told that this school is rather strict on uniform policy. So let's say students come back after the long COVID absence slightly well i mean not that long but longish they're wearing things that breach the school uniform they're you know tight leggings that kind of stuff the school Mm -hmm. tells them you can't wear that you have to wear the uniform we have a uniform code a student takes that as well why would i have to do that you're basically saying that we're distracting the male teachers and suddenly we have a national petition signed by i think the last time i checked five thousand people we have people calling the male teachers pedophiles, perverts, and we have nearly every national news entity in the country reporting on a story which could be perfectly true, Michael. Absolutely could be perfectly true. I think it's unlikely, but it could be. My point here is not that it's false. My point here is I don't think any of these people have any way of verifying it happened rather than people think it happened. But that that kind of... The- the nub of my 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 center it's a problem with this other than the fact that even if it is all true i don't see that it's front page news at the moment but anyway it is what it is it's well, the, the it's the speed at which they have felt 
this necessity to come to these very definite, definitive conclusions. So to stir up this great brouhaha, to write such sorry editorials, to get national political parties to censure us down, demanding for apology, demands for apology. I mean, have we not had the experience in the last fairly recent past again and again of incidents appearing on the internet, appearing on videos, where the story seems to be plain and obvious. And then we discover that if we'd only waited for 24 hours, that there actually was a whole other story. And we wouldn't have got ourselves in trouble. And we wouldn't have come up with an incorrect and damaging narrative that ended up costing us quite a lot of money. Now, the school has responded to this, but they've put out the kind of statement that someone who just wants the media to go away might put out which is the rules concerning the correct wearing of our school uniforms have not changed since previous years, other than the introduction of a half-zip top for half-year students this year. And as I'm reading it, I'm again reminded that this should not be something I know about. <laughs> students are regularly reminded of school rules and regulations at assemblies. So the, the interesting thing is that it has gotten to national prominence. It is being repeated by people who should know better and... No one seems to be able to back this up, that it actually happened rather than people think it happened. Now, Michael, I say nearly every uh, news organisation of national prominence. Yes. Because there is one. When I was looking through the stories that had been published, because I wanted to try and go back as far as I can to see if there was ever anyone who just said, I saw this. And at least then you can say, okay, well, someone says they saw it. Yeah. The Sun had an article up on the petition and Carlo and the school and all that sort of thing. And it's gone now. now. It's gone? It's gone. Where's it I gone? We were, well, you remember we were talking last week, Michael, about how the, the tabloids actually have a higher standard of just journalistic rigour? Reporting, sort of, mm. yes. So it, it turns out that the Sun modified the URLs of the articles that they take down with a note on why it was taken down. Probably as like an internal tool so that they can measure it. And it's, it's very easy to do because you can just redirect to a new URL. Right. So the Sun's story has changed from the sun.ie forward slash petition, Carlo, all of that sort of thing, to the sun.ie forward slash legal removal. <laughs> Which strikes me as you publish it because every other newspaper is publishing it. And then someone in the Sun, who I would imagine is very, very well versed in defamation law or just the general idea of can you prove what you're writing, looked at and went, no, lads, do we have any like, actual proof this happened? In the words of those ed ed editors in movies, do we really have this story? Yeah, and someone goes, well, I mean, everyone is saying it. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 but, but do we have any proof? <laughs> and I'm just going, well, bollocks. Well, proof, I mean, what do you mean? Like what is proof? Like, well, there's this story in the, that paper and that paper. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying, lads, is we don't have this story. And yeah, Aidan O'Reardon has come out and said that the school has to apologise to the students. And uh, this kind of discourse is unacceptable in 2020. Girls are being objectified younger and younger. The last place we accept it is from schools. And then he says that the school told them that they would be distracting male teachers with their bodies. If they didn't make this change, which if not true, kind of is an issue for Adon. 
Now, the school, based on the response they have, is I would say they have no legal or PR representation and they just want this to go away. So they're not going to deny it. They're just going to bunker down. Probably because of the uh, shitstorm that's happening around them with the thousands of people and the petition and the wild accusations of pedophilia against male teachers. Yeah, I, when you say that, 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 that's been going a little bit around on Twitter, which you have to feel is... Meh. I wouldn't be enormously happy throwing that kind of word around, that kind of accusation. That's the kind of thing that could add in a very serious way to somebody's pension pot. I think people should be a little bit more circumspect. People will say the weirdest things on Twitter, will they not? I'm sure you've never noticed that, Gary. It is. I think it is a good example of a story that fits ideological biases. So people assume it's true and you move forward and then it's only after it's done that someone goes, so what about like these little kind of hops we took there where we didn't quite have enough mm. maybe to go forward, but we went forward anyway. It is a, oh, it's a fun little story. As I said, it may be true, but given the fact that everything quoted is not attributed to anyone and no one can identify the teacher who is alleged to have said these things, despite the fact it would have to have been to you know, potentially hundreds of students. Well, let's say the 60 teachers in the school, Michael, that's probably a couple of hundred students. Well, right now it's a fun little story. It's a story that could get a lot more fun in the next couple of days, depending on how it how it shakes out and how, how much confirmation or otherwise, or how accurate the reporting has been. But um, not that I wish anybody ill, but <laughs> it could be fun. I did like the, the Irish Examiner had a, an opinion piece on it, which considering the story only broke on Tuesday, and they had the opinion piece up on Tuesday, it's a very fast turnaround. And it, but it was, it, was, it was headlined. The female students in Carlow were shamed and shackled by their burgeoning womanhood, which to me reads like the start of an erotic novel. Shamed and shackled. Shamed and shackled by their burgeoning womanhood. Yeah, I can I can see it as uh, as a bodice ripper. If I was it's an English that kind of feel to it. If I was an English teacher correcting the essay, I would have to mark it down for uh, incoherence because I don't know. How exactly they are shackled by their burgeoning womanhood in this case. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I did see body shaming was part certainly of a lot of the the narrative of the, you know, the chatter around social media. Again, I'm not quite sure how that is, but there you go. I, it, it's a wonderful opinion piece. I'll link it in it because it, it's a wonderful examiner story. It's just, it's beautiful, Michael. Because on one hand, you've got this, which is shaming and making the women of this country smaller. And on the other, you have in Scotland, the news that they would supply period products free of charge. That's the phrase it used. Period Is period products the usual phrasing? Anyway. Tampons, I suppose. They mean. So schools, colleges and universities will have a statutory duty to provide free tampons and sanitary towels in their bathroom facilities. But uh, you get to the end. And it says, today, while we were reporting on the shaming of our young girls, in Scotland, Labour showed that despite a global pandemic, the rights of women and girls are at the top of the political agenda. To which I would say, if the introduction of free tampons convinces you that women are at the top of the political agenda in a country, you have no business reading about politics, let alone writing about it. I think they took the vat off them as well. 
I think there were problems with that because there were European issues. All right. This is the SNP, of course, which is, if given, which will, if given the chance, I would predict it now. So in 10 years' time, I can go back and say, I told you so. If it's given free reign to go ahead and do what it wants, will produce uh, Venezuela on the Clyde. But anyway, as I said, it's a ridiculously small story which has somehow grown to national prominence and which I wanted to highlight because everything about it has the sign of just what I would refer to as media or journalistic contagion, where a story is reported by someone and everyone else starts reporting it based mostly on the initial story or on hearsay they can get from other people and no one really has anything they can stand over. So, and if you're ever looking to see if something looks like that, look for no sources are named or identified in any way. So anonymous source is perfectly fine. Anonymous source, no known relation to anything, not even a senior official in the administration. Kind of dodgy. Could be anything. Indeed. It could be anything. But speaking uh, about something that is very definitely not anything, Amnesty International have responded to the little letter that they signed. And uh, for those of you who didn't hear in the last show, it was a letter that went out on the Transgender Day of Remembrance, and it was signed by Amnesty International, National Women's Council of Ireland, a whole host of the, the great and the good, Michael. Oh, absolutely. And it is, um, it is a doorstopper of an open letter. It is the stand of open letters. And I frankly wouldn't be surprised if the organizations who signed this did any more than like glance at it. And, you know, this is a letter from these people about protecting the rights of transgenderism against these people. Will you sign it? Sure, yeah, let us throw our eye over it. Does it, does it remind you a little bit of the letter that went round, was it the election? that went around from the National Women's Council. It actually very much did. And for those who don't remember that story, that was a wonderful piece of contagion from Gript. I think I broke it. And then it was basically the National Women's Council put out this manifesto and Finnefall uh, HQ had told Finnefall TDs to sign it. Yeah. And a number had without reading it very clearly. Which is how it, I, I sent you on a copy, which I got from a person in the party. Is it? And you... When you'd stopped laughing, by the way, said, I think I have to write about this, but you went on and write, wrote about crypt. But uh, it was too late, I think, for a lot of the people who had signed up But when they, when they read your story. And I can tell you, quite a number of them did read your story. I did have a very fun uh, fun talk with someone who was involved with it. I said, what about this? And they went, no, I didn't sign that. Went, you did. It says it here. And the response was just silence. And then, oh, Balls. <laughs> and then, because Grip reported it, and obviously everyone ignored it because it was gripped, and despite Grip's burgeoning readership, we're not quite at the level yet where you have to respond to everything. But we're getting there. But then, some of the mainstream journalists took it up, and then suddenly Miho Martin was being asked questions about how these things that made no sense and politically couldn't happen were now uh, uh, the pledge of the... Uh, of Finnafal. They'd effectively entirely rewritten their election manifesto. And then a couple of TDs, I think, tried to gently edge away from it. <laughs> simply saying, well, we agreed with it in principle. So don't think that people in power won't sign things without reading them. So this letter is, it was, looks like it was set out because the LGB Alliance, which is an LGB 
uh, group, which doesn't gender critical, doesn't believe in um, most gender ideology kind of points. It would, it believes it believes biological sex is a, is a thing. So the the letter said many things in it, but one particular line it said, "We call on media and politicians to no longer provide legitimate representation." For those that share bigoted beliefs that are aligned with far-right ideologies and seek nothing but harm and division. And I reported this as Amnesty are effectively calling for the removal of political representation from women and LGB groups. Because LGB groups, in my experience, are largely women and predominantly gay women. Sorry, Gary, I don't want to knock you off your stride, but do you not notice there's a curious thing there. It it refers to far-right groups, but doesn't say far-left groups doesn't even say extremist groups. Specifically far-right groups. That's what the letter said. And um, that this was taken poorly by many people, including the granddaughter of the founder of Amnesty International, who Colm O'Gorman had a wonderfully snarky Twitter fight with. It was beautiful. Yeah. This woman saying, this is, this is terrible. How can you, you say these things? And Colm O'Gorman responds in Colm O'Gorman fashion with, have you read the letter? Oh God! Yeah, I can just hear it. You know that that tone that they use in the letter. Oh, go educate yourself. I did also like when he started talking about how many of these people came from outside Ireland, a Britain, and therefore wouldn't know of our history. Because sort of going, that kind of sounds like somewhat of a, a xenophobic dog whistle, Colm. Outsiders don't know our ways and shouldn't be allowed comment on our uh, on what's happening in the country. That include Brazilians, I wonder. But then again, I mean, Amnesty did call for the removal of political representation for women and sexual minorities. So, Michael, maybe this is an innovative new approach to human rights, largely on the basis of maybe the dictators were right this entire time. Some people just don't deserve them. So, yeah, well, you know, there, and there may be a great truth to that. So, Amnesty, if they ignored it for the couple of days... It was very funny because the uh, hashtag universal suffrage started trending just from women jumping on Amnesty about uh, Amnesty's apparent desire to remove them of voting rights. <laughs> it turns out people get upset about it. But Amnesty, basically, the, their letter says, and we'll put a link to it, they put it on Twitter. They've also removed the ability to reply to it, which is never a good sign. But the letter says, we recently signed a giant letter with LGBTI and other groups and individuals in support of trans rights. We stand over the letter and stand in solidarity with our trans friends, colleagues, and communities. There are attempts to decontextualize decontextualize phrases used in a letter in a way that misleads and confuses people, which is a common tactic used against many of our human rights campaigns. For example, the letter asks for media and politicians to not grant legitimacy to those spreading vitriol or misinformation or to present them as legitimate. This is being framed by some as a call to take their away there, and more broadly women's, political representation. When read in context, the letter we are clearly not calling for that. No, uh, no, 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 no. That, I, when read in context, no, the letter, that's what the letter says. They called for the removal of legitimate representation. That's what it says. Yeah, I like the way they phrased remove legitimate representation as do not grant legitimacy. Which I would argue is a strikingly different sentence. A completely different thing. Now, the letter then goes on to say there's further examples of decontextualizing, but we're not going to give them the airtime to spread further. 
And they say, we're only writing this because people are saying horrible things about transgender. We will resist this attempt to bring this anti-trans right campaign to Ireland, which again, some could read as a xenophobic appeal for the people of Ireland to come together against the outsider, which is an interesting position for Amnesty. I saw people saying horrible things about Amnesty. I didn't see people saying horrible things about trans people. And I mean, if you represent trans people, which I'm sure Amnesty see themselves as, then surely anything negative about you is, is actually attack on the people you represent. But they're talking about decontextualizing phrases. So I think it is only fair, Michael, that we go slightly through the letter in a bit more detail than we did before. Mm-hmm. So we can say, well, these are the, uh, the phrases that um, are in the letter and they won't be decontextualized. And of course, we'll put a link to the letter as we did in the last one. It starts off, Michael, and this is just factually wrong, Talking about Marsha P. Johnson. Yes. Who uh, is apparently now a woman. Now, this is a subject which goes back and forth and back and forth. People from the LGB alliance are absolutely insistent that this is not true, that Marsha did not identify as a woman, that, that Marsha identified as a man, that Marsha was a drag queen, but that there was never, that Marsha was a transvestite, but that Marsha never identified as a woman. Yes, I think the general line is acceptance that that is true, but then saying, well, transgenderism wasn't a normal thing at the time, and had it been around, we assume they would have. Which seems to be very much in the uh, tokenization space, Michael. Mm. So, the letter calls on the removal of legitimate representation from those who have bigoted beliefs. So, what does it, when it talks about bigoted beliefs, what is it talking about? So most of the letter is concerned with the rise in discriminatory organizations and vocal transgender exclusionary activists on Twitter. Now, the fact they included both organizations and people means they are calling for the removal of those rights from people as well, not just organizations. Yes. So I think on that, we can say that's not decontextualized. That's just what it says in the paragraph. Yes. Now, when it says, what are, what are the statements that these people are coming out with? That is so worrisome. Well, the first one, Michael, is that these organizations defend biology. Could you... Well, could, no, that's what you're saying. But what does the letter say, Gary? Let us say unequivocally that the statements of newly launched organizations that seek to defend biology or fight gender identity and expression do not represent the wider LGBTI plus community nor feminists in Ireland. Seeks to defend biology. Yeah. The wickedness of these people, Gary knows, it knows no bounds. They'll plumb up to depths. It'll be chemistry and physics next. Defend biology. Well, jeepers. It's okay, though, because, uh, you know, they say it's simply enough to refute these people by saying they're not radical, they're not inclusive, and they're not feminists. They're simply misinformed and transphobic. Is that just a way of saying you're not funny and you're not grown up? I think it's a way of saying we don't need to deal with your arguments because you're none of the things you say you are because we've said you're not them and we run this. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Then it goes on to call on media and politicians to no longer provide legitimate representations for those that share bigoted beliefs that are aligned with fair-right ideology and seek nothing but harm and division. Now, these fringe internet accounts, this is the next sentence, Michael, stand against affirmative medical care of transgender people And they stand against the right to self-identification of transgender people in this country. Which would suggest to me that bigoted beliefs 
and apparently alignment with far-right ideologies, include opposition to affirmative medical care of transgender people and opposition to self-identification of transgender people in this country. Okay. Now, both of those positions are quite highly contested from what I recall. Well, what they mean by medical care... So, for those who don't know, gender-affirmative medical care effectively means that if someone comes to you and says, I think I am a boy or I think I am a girl, it is your job to work to encourage that gender identity to validate it up to and including everything from therapy up to potentially irreversible hormonal or surgical interventions. And it is not your job to question. It's not your job to take a wait and see. You are there to facilitate the transition. That is a deeply contested position. Uh, yeah, it, it it is. I mean, it, it has become the position of the American Psychiatric Association that if you're engaged in a therapeutic relationship with, say, a, a minor or a child, or not, sorry, we're talking here for the purposes of this discussion about a minor who is expressing a transgender identity, and you cannot simply affirm them in that choice, then you should not be their therapist. Now, on the board of the, uh, the AMA for many years was the professor, whose name I know very well. He's a Canadian professor. He's kind of the... the, the, the he was for many years the world's leading innovator on the issue. He was the one that invented the, the phrase, the term gender dysphoria. He is not against gender affirmation. He's not against transitioning, but he's very uh, careful about how you should proceed with uh, particular with minors in transitioning. And he would certainly contest this, and I think many people in the psychiatric community would contest it. Put it this way, Gary, it's, it's certainly not, it's not uncontested. This is not a settled issue. Anyway, if you're against all those things, you are um, promoting hate, trading in bigotry, and uh, engaging in dog whistles to bigots, Michael. And again, they say, we know that by and large, these false narratives are not native to the queer and feminist communities of Ireland. These ideas are representative of outsiders mm. that have not worked, laboured, or know the trans community in Ireland, which again, kind of xenophobic. Yeah, dock whistles are funny though, isn't it? I mean, they talk about dock whistles because that kind of implies they're the dog in this in this context. If they can hear the whistle, uh, there is. But you 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 keep going back to this. The xenophobic, because what they want to do is frame this as some kind of post-colonial English imperialist attempt to direct our policy or our attitudes on this subject. Which, if you like, to me, if you want to talk dog whistles, Gary, is that not a dog whistle? I have very much enjoyed seeing people who, many of whom I've heard talk about borders, and I know don't really believe in things like the nation state or or any limitations on movement looking at these accounts and going, well, they're fucking Brits. Yeah. And? Yeah, this is... I don't don't know if that's true. I don't really care if it's true, but what would it matter if it were true? The question is, is what they're saying true? No, I think the the only thing Amnesty can fall back on to say that this is not what they meant is after the sentence where we talked about affirmative medical care, it says these fringe internet accounts, and they could say that they're talking about those. 
and not actual, you know, general people. However, when it talks about that earlier in the letter, it says discriminatory organisations and vocal transgender exclusionary activists. Organisations are made of people, activists are people, Twitter fringe accounts are run by people. I don't think you can simply say, well, no, we want their representation removed rather than people's because one, you're referring to a group of um, LGB activists. So there, you're actively calling for them to be removed. And then just uh, a lot of um, just general women. So I don't, I don't think that's decontextualized at all. I think that Amnesty have just um, bollocks this one up. And like I, every now and then I'll, I send press queries to Amnesty. Now, most of them come to nothing. But I found Amnesty... Now, this is Amnesty International... I'm talking about Amnesty Ireland signed the letter. Amnesty International is the the parent group. They are very good at responding to questions from journalists, even if they're not positive. They kind of seem to pride themselves on always responding. And I think they work on the basis that if the story is going to be a shit show for us, if we can make it 10% less shit by engaging, that's a win. That's Which is a perfectly fair approach. This is the only story I've ever emailed Amnesty International's press department about and received no response. And I've emailed them a couple of times now. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to want to talk about this at all. And I wonder if that means that Amnesty Amnesty Ireland kind of screwed the pooch on this one. Um, I don't think they would see it like that. I don't think Colin McGorman would see it like that. um... No, but the people who had to loan millions of euro to his organisation to keep it from insolvency might. (laughs) Oh, why did you have to bring that up? Because it's funny. Mm. The National Women's Council of Ireland also uh, signed this. And I do, I love the optics, Michael, of the National Women's Council of Ireland. Because, you know, group of women, you know, we're all in this together and someone says, what about this? And they just scream, not you, get out. (laughs) Anybody but you. Interestingly enough, the National Women's Council of Ireland, they provide the secretariat for the uh, Irish Women's Parliamentary Caucus which is one of those fantastic groups, Michael, which are incredibly representative, where if you're a woman and you're elected to the doll, you automatically are made a member. Mm-hmm. And then you have to um, you have to withdraw. It's opt-out. Which you might not, the listener may not think is a big issue, but the thing here is, if it's opt-in and a female parliamentarian isn't interested in it, you just don't join it. And then if anyone asks you about it, you're just like, oh, I haven't got around to it. It's not, you're not making a statement as such. If it's opt out, you're in it. To leave, you need to make an active decision. And at that point, that could become news. Someone involved could leak that to the press. And then you have questions like, well, why are you leaving? Do you not support the rights? All of that sort of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But I did get in touch with the uh, chairperson of the caucus, Michael. Mostly out of my own sense of amusement. And were you satisfied by the response? Well, I haven't heard back yet, Michael. Oh, well... In it, it'll be in your email, in your inbox tomorrow, I'm sure. So Catherine Martin is the uh, is the chairperson, the Green Party TD, which means I wouldn't put my hope of a response terribly high, considering she is the progressive wing of the Green Party. I just I asked, you know, in in, in her position as chairperson of the Irish Women's Parliamentary uh, Caucus. Yeah, the NWCI has called on politicians to remove political representation from women. Mm-hmm. largely and um you know do you believe that the call to remove legitimate representation is in line with the constitutionally stated values of the women's caucus of uh, 
Equality, solidarity, diversity, and democracy. Diversity. Yeah. Do you have confidence in the ability of the NWCI to provide secretariat services to the Women's Caucus? Again, given the call for removing political representation and that the Women's Caucus is ostensibly a uh, diverse group of people? And, you know, do you support these calls? If not, why not? Uh, Oh, and do you pay these people money to do it? Because if it turns out the Women's Caucus provides money to the NWCI and the NWCI are calling for the political disenfranchisement of certain women who have political views they don't agree with, that sounds like a fun little story. You're just a shitstorer, Gary, really, aren't you? As I said, Michael, the essence of journalism is afflicting the comfortable. Yeah, you, you don't have to enjoy it quite so much. But why, why would you do it if you didn't? Like, what, what would be the point on it if I didn't enjoy it? It's almost as if you don't, you don't have a deep sense of empathy and compassion for these poor people being tortured by your questioning. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, know. Sorry, I have very little sympathy. I have empathy for them in the same way a sniper has empathy for a target. What was it? They used to be called the National Council on the Status of Women, wasn't it? Until some some wag in this in the days of Fahy said, "Yeah, the National Council of Women of Status." But no, I I think there is a legitimate issue here. The NWCI is largely state funded, nearly entirely state funded. Yes, and they are calling, and I think we can say this safely after having gone through the context of the amnesty letter. There's no con- decontextualization. These people signed a letter calling for the removal of political, whatever legitimate representation means, from groups and accounts which are largely women, many of them gay women. Yes. At very best, they didn't read the letter themselves. The only thing it can mean is that, if you do, that the only thing that would be left to them would be illegitimate representation. So whatever that means, it would certainly mean it would not fall under the category of being representative represented by members of the daughter of the Shannon. So you have this group, they're state funded, they're providing the secretariat service to the Women's Caucus, which is, again, the political grouping for effectively all women. They're, yeah, they're calling for the removal of political representation. for And I just feel if you are a state funded group and you start calling for the removal of political representation from those who disagree with you, the state should signal its disapproval by removing state funding from you. All of it. Yes. I feel that is a fair lesson for these people. In that the state should turn on these people and instead the state turns on you. I just I just think that would be fair, Michael. You think, yeah, it's because it would at least uh, reaffirm that the state is committed to the protection of the rights of all people, all views, minorities included, and is committed to a diversity of opinions. Like, we kind of saw this during the abortion referendum when the NWCI came out in favour of abortion and the question asked was, well, if you represent women, what about women who don't agree with abortion? And they went, well, the polling suggests that the vast majority of women support it. Okay. Do the vast majority of women support removing political representation from other women based on their views on transgenderism and affirmative medical health care? Or can we just Go a step further, Gary. Groups whose principal concerns are the maintenance and the protection of women-only spaces. Do the vast majority of Irish women believe that these spaces should be open, not just to, in the language that they use, which I don't like, cis women? 
hospitals and refuges for women who have suffered domestic abuse, hospitals, uh, sporting, uh, sporting clubs, gymnasiums, prisons, Gary, for example, women's prisons, should those spaces which have been up to now protected spaces for women only, should they not be, again, protected women only spaces, but be open to well, I mean, I think considering the last time I talked about that issue, Tusla, what was it, they threatened me with three years in prison and 50,000 euro in fines. I think it's best that we move rapidly on to something less likely to see me jailed. Well, okay. I mean, if that's, that kind of thing is going to affect your willingness to make a comment on it, Gary, with that, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, when they initially started and they were like, you could get three months and a couple of thousand in fines, I was like, all right, that's fine. You can go fuck yourselves. But then when they came back with the three years, I was like, that's not, that's just not a personal runner for me, chaps. Like three months, that's just a chance to improve my deadlift. Three years, whole different ballgame. Yeah. Improve your deadlift. Maybe learn a foreign language. But three years, yeah. You're going to have to make friends with the big hairy guys after if you're going to be in for three years, and you really don't want to have to do that. But uh, yes, let's move moving uh, moving quickly along away from the joy and into the sunny uplands. So on the sunny uplands, the uh, sunny uplands with the broad open skies above you, no roof over your head, a situation which the Irish government seems to want as many people as possible to end up in. Damn, that was a that was like pulled that one off. God, that's a segue. That's a segue. <laughs> You know, I I know that, I don't know, maybe you did want to talk about this, or if you just weren't terribly excited about it, but I know that I have two hobby horses, but one is the price of drink and the other is, is housing. But we can't, we have to talk about this. I mean, this is in the context also of the week that's in it, shall we say, Gary. Now, because of a worldwide pandemic, which is actually redundant, because if it's not worldwide, it's not a pandemic, I suppose. We have seen an easing of rents in Dublin and a little bit more availability. However, we're also seeing people die. We have seen people die, young people even, and I say even because that's more unusual, die homeless on the streets. We have a homelessness crisis in the country. We've had a homelessness crisis for years. And we have a political class which seems to be absolutely dead set on finding ways to stop people building homes and the excuses the reasons the rationalizations are different every time but in a funny way always the same okay we've seen the case we've already discussed which was the case the oscar trainer case where dublin city council got together with the far left and fina fall which oh god knows where fina fall is it's somewhere between the far right the far right the populist center and the far left Somewhere in there, that's where you find Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil councillors vote against the, the, the development of trainer, which now you have people in the property business saying, yeah, it's all very well to say, well, now Dublin County Council can do it. Yeah, it's going to take five to eight years before we see anything done on this again. Dublin County Council has not the capacity or the ability or the skills or the money to do this. So this is all just nonsense. We've seen the High Court, was the High Court the Supreme Court knocked down an application for an inner city development which would have built 700 odd homes which was something people uh, another reason to hate cyclists yeah another reason to hate cyclists and i'm told was there a connection with Antashka there 
Yes, it was a cycling group connected to Antashka complaining about parking, which I think is, is the trifecta of, well, you can all go to hell, can't you? Complaining about parking, as in there wasn't enough parking supplied. Now, listen, we don't need more reasons to hate either cyclists or Antashka, but you know what? In every other city that I'm aware of in Europe, one of the things they do when they build in the inner city, they, they build, when you're right in the centre of the city, they discourage people from having cars. They say, okay, if you want a car, you're going to have to pay for the right to have a car. You're going to have to find private parking somewhere. You're going to have to find private parking, which is going to cost you a lot of money if you're going to find it near your house, you're going to, or else you're going to have to find it in a discommodious distance from you. Because you're living in the centre of the city, you should be able to very often walk to work or you have access, because you're in the centre of the city, to more public transport than anybody who might be living a couple of miles further out in the suburbs. So anyway, that went by. Now, the Housing Minister, Darrell O'Brien, has decided a ban on co-living developments. And you think, that's what we needed. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to ban another, another part of what might have been the solution. Now, nobody, I don't believe, has ever said, Gary, that co-living was going to be the answer to the problems of the, sh the housing shortage in Dublin. But it was going to be at least part of a solution. It was going to be part of making a reasonable standard of accommodation affordable to people in their 20s. God, imagine that, Gary. People in their 20s might be able to leave home and get a place sharing it, yes, with strangers. But you know what, Gary? It has not been unknown in the history of Ireland that people who are strangers would get a house and live in it together. That has actually happened before. But apparently this was honest. No. In fact, uh, it was described as being the co-living was 21st century bedsits. 20, but Jesus Christ, you know what? What would the fuck would be wrong with 21st bed, 20 bed, 21st century bedsits? We, one of the problems we had, one of the many problems was when the, the county council, the, the city council in Dublin decided, no, you couldn't, who could raise a family in a bedsit? Some of these bedsits are squalid. We will not have 21-year-olds living in this kind of squatter. No, they should live in semi-detached three-bedroom houses with a garden front and back, because that's the way the world should be. No, so 24, but these were going to be developments, Gary, which were going to be so, they're going to be too small. They're going to be horrible. They're going to be returned to tenements. Jesus, tenements. It's like, when, do you remember when they said that Mitt Romney was going to, was going to take African-Americans and he's going to literally, literally put them back in chains. So they were going to build these modern developments where people would have their own bedroom with an ensuite and then there would be shared facilities for kitchens, laundry, there would be social spaces, there would be games rooms, there would be a gym, some places might have a pool. Now Gary, that one of the things I remember about a tenement was that you'd have maybe 50 families to one jacks. I mean, traditionally, they were not filled with upwardly mobile uh, tech and uh, accountancy graduates. No, you didn't have people you know, who just got a job in the civil service or in the bank moving into the tenement. Yeah, no one in uh, no one in KPMG's fast track program 
really lived in the slums. Co-living was popular with developers because it meant they could squeeze more people into a smaller space to collect more rent. The bastards! I remember seeing one of the co-living developments and it had a cinema and on the roof it had a selfie swing that they designed apparently for taking Instagram videos or photos or whatever the fuck people do on Instagram. I don't know and frankly at this point I don't have to care. And I, you know, I thought to myself, I was like, you know, this, this... This is the squalor that made people say that the slums of Dublin were as bad as those in Bengal. Of course, the most, the, the most important thing you should do in a selfie swing is not fall off it. Particularly if you're in a nightclub. I mean, they're not Irish politicians, Michael. They can use a swing. Yeah, they can work out the rules. As it stands, five college ring projects have been granted planning permission. Seven more applications were under consideration and two have been refused permission. One of the reasons given by Darrell O'Brien, who opposed it when he was in opposition, which is fine. When you're in opposition, you should oppose things. When you come into government, you forget and you say, yeah, well, let's do it anyway. One of the problems was that there was a worry that there was going to be more of these built than they had thought. In other words, that there might actually be a market for them. And people might build them and because people were going to buy them or rent them and use them. God, I mean, how could you have that kind of thing going on? They were going to be placed in inappropriate locations. Inappropriate locations, inappropriate housing in inappropriate locations. But I do wonder, Michael, as determined by who? Well, Finna Fall, I suppose. By this, I, yeah. I thought you people were meant to be good at housing. What happened there? You people. You people, the Finnefallers. Now, we've had this out before, Gary. This is just, this is the end. This is the end. This is the end. This is, in fact, so I was talking to several Finnefallers the last week, after the, the county council, the city council debacle in Dublin over the, the Oscar Trainer site. I talked to several Finnefallers, well, who called me and they said, it, it wasn't the abortion referendum, it wasn't the obsession with D. Two, four, and six. It wasn't even Michal Martin's Dublin strategy that he said the the moment when Fianna Fáil started to vote, decided to vote against building, is the moment when they decided that they just can't go on anymore. He said whatever every everybody else said about Finnegan being the party of business, everybody knew in their hearts. If you wanted to get something built, get in Fianna Fáil. If you wanted to get you you want to get business going. Get in Fianna Fáil. Well, this has been well and truly kiboshed. Such notions are now long gone. But, you know, now I don't know what this means for those five developments that have already had permission. Is, will there, will they there are be... apparently being allowed. They're apparently fine. Yeah, they're going to be allowed. But no, unless, I mean, unless a good Twitter storm arises, Michael, and people say that that would also be inhumane and then... God knows what the government will do in that case. So, but there's seven more applications, which presumably now they, they're dead in the water. So we had 700, 800, 1500, 1600. Around 1600 housing units were, 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 were dealt a blow already in the week. Now another seven of these. So how many would the on average be? 50 apartments in these developments? They come in a very wide range. They come in a very wide range. But God knows, we, it could be in the space of a week, we have seen 
the the mark of Cain, as it were, the lid out put on the top of upwards of two thousand housing units in Dublin, and not one sign of a scintilla of a plan of how people may be housed in the country. When at the same time, we're actually having great brouhaha about uh, housing housing asylum seekers because of the decision that was made recently. Do you see the case about the, the, the Kurdish chap? Oh yes, I did a little bit of the research on that. Uh, that's that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm interested to see what happened there. But, uh, well, sometimes the Irish housing system can be very efficient, Michael. And I think we need to laud those cases. Now, I have nothing against the chap getting the house. I mean, I, I'm sure that Canada must be a horrible, dangerous, repressive kind of a place. It's, it's a desolate place, Michael. Jesus. I mean, can you imagine living under Trudeau? Not knowing one day to the next if the death squads, if one of Trudeau's death squads was going to take you out and force you to use their extremely... The, and the, you know, the last thing you'd see as you knelt on your knees in the dirt was the pasty white lips of Trudeau and the blackened features. <laughs> yeah, he spend more time in blackface than out of it. Being force-fed ba- pancakes with Canadian maple syrup and Canadian bacon. It's a hot... Horror, horror story. What is it with progressive politicians and blackface? Well, I suppose it's a form of... Uh, it's an odd form like of... a transgressive sort of thing for them, because it's so taboo. Or is it a form of desire projection? I don't know. I don't know. Me. I Maybe. don't know anyone who's ever dressed up as a character from a minstrel show. But now I feel like I'm losing out on people I should know. But to be honest, I'm surprised you are of an age to know anybody who knows what a minstrel show was. Well, I know what they are, but I wouldn't say that's common. Lion's Tea used to give them, uh, give out little, you, with the tea, you cut out a minstrel, send them off, and you get a present. They don't do that anymore. Anyway, I, I, it would be incorrect to say I'm at a loss for words, because I've been at a loss for words for the last nine minutes talking about this. But honest to God, there are times when you just look at it thinking, Gary, you know what? Democracy does not work. We have a bog out there which we can't cut turf out of anymore. There's lots of it empty from where we cut. Can we not dig a nice big hole and just drop the lot of a minute? I mean, as long as it was a hole of historical significance, I'm sure on task would agree with it. Well, absolutely. And the Greens have been talking about using the bogs as a carbon trap. So, you know, that could be a, a carbon trap of types. And I know what you'll say, Gary, you say, well, democracy is all very well, but what are you going to put in place of it? Well, I'll tell you what, Gary, absolute monarchy. Me. I think monarchists are the only type of political ideology. That, like Everyone, like the Marxists are like, true Marxism has never been tried. The capitalists are like, true capitalism has never been tried. But the monarchists are like, we had true monarchy, and it was glorious. It was fantastic. Did you, did you see the Austrian Empire? Fantastic. We should go back to that. Have you seen Vienna lately? My God. You go to Russia. Go to Moscow. Go to go to St. Petersburg, right? The, the, the only nice bits of Moscow are the bits that were built when the monarchy was there. Same thing with St. Petersburg. 
I mean, even the de- the people who believe in democracy, fools though they may be, are like, well, true democracy has never been tried. We're all republics. And then the republicans are like, well, we're not really a republic. But the monarchists, they're, no, we did it. And they don't argue about, like, monarchy peace theory. They're just like, well, sometimes you need to burn down fucking Moscow. You it know what? about sending a message. You look, look at Dublin there. Look at Dublin, right? Mountjoy Square... Fitzwilliam Square, the great, the great terraces of Georgian houses, built by a republic or by a monarchy? Monarchy, Gary. Fatima Mansions, Ballyfermot Flats, Ballymun, built by a republic. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's copper fastened, but if you were to go to all the places that people go to look at in Dublin today, make a list of the ones that were built under a monarchy and make a list of the ones that were built under a republic. And the ones that were built under a republic they're the ones that people go to go in order to say, my God, it's hideous. No, I'm happy with the idea of a monarchy. As long as I can be king, I think that'll be fine. It's not going to be a very, like, it's not going to be a dynastic monarchy then, is it? Yeah, why? There are ways and means. You know what? If your king is somewhere, it'd be very easy to find someone who'll marry you. Hmm. I mean, I don't have to be there when it happens. So, as a, as a uh, closing, the uh, sting in the tail... Of the Seamus Wolf affair. <laughs> the uh, top business committee appears to be collapsing. By yeah. the time this podcast goes goes live, it may yeah. have collapsed. It is brilliant. You know, I was saying to there was a, I was talking to a friend of ours who's an academic lawyer, and he said that it's got to the stage now where it's like a clown pulling out a never-ending stream of handkerchiefs. But we, we now got to the stage where we've kind of forgotten what the whole story was about in the beginning. Because we don't really know what the story is about anymore, except that it's a big story. It's something to do with Seamus Wolf, and it's just getting worse and worse. Helen McEntee was called, well, shall we say, if I were to get it right, the opposition wanted Helen McEntee, who's the Minister for Justice, to come towards to this talk to make a statement and to take uh, questions. The government voted down this proposal in what was an extremely serious issue for democracy. Although the minister said that she had actually said that she would be perfectly willing to take questions, but the timetable would be different. Now, all of the groups, from the left to the hard right, whatever the hard right might be in Ireland, have withdrawn from the committee which organises the doll business. And they've told the Kyonkora they won't be there. So the whole thing is kind of collapsed. And it's hard. Well, what next? You know, it's hard to know where where does this finish, Gary? How does it finish? There, the accusation, as I understand, that's being suggested is there was some kind of a deal, some kind of a dirty, murky deal done between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, a quid pro quo, which involved the appointment of the just now. I'm sure that didn't happen. Michal Martin has said that didn't happen, and I'm perfectly happy to take the word of the Taoiseach. Why would he lie? What if it did happen? Who cares? Well, indeed. That's that's how the Supreme Court is elected. Me, well, yeah. Me, me, Almar took the recommendation of the. Oh, what is it? It's got it's got four letters in it. The, uh, the Judicial Appointments Review Board, I think. The J A A B, the Jab. He got a recommendation from Jab, and he followed it. Now, my understanding is there was only one recommendation from JAB because 
normally the applications where judges are interested would go to the Attorney General, but the Attorney General was the person who's been considered. So instead, recommend allegedly some couple of judges are applied or sent letters of interest into the Minister for Justice. I'm not sure Seamus Wolfe was still the uh, Attorney General at that point. Um, who's the Minister? God, I, can't, I can't remember the timeline of this now. Anyway, he was either, maybe he was, maybe he was gone, maybe there wasn't a... Yeah, Michael, I, I think this might be the most boring political scandal I've ever dealt with that somehow seems to, at this point, just crush everyone who gets involved with it. Apart from Seamus Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> he is in the eye of an incredibly boring hurricane and nothing can be done about him. And everyone else who gets involved is just... Suddenly there's accusations of corruption flying around the place. I mean, the Supreme Court tries to... The Chief Justice tries to throw him under the bus and suddenly unscrupulous people like myself are saying he should resign. It's shocking. I mean, Sean O'Rourke who had just retired from RT but was going to come back and do lots of lovely things, got the got the bullet because he had uh, gone to play the golf. Um, all sorts of things. Did Phil Hogan have to end up having to resign over? Was It, it was really this, wasn't it? It was Golfgate that did it. Big oh, fill-in. Yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely Golfgate that did fill-in. Brought down and in his, his... his struggles to remember his own travel itinerary. Brought down an EU commissioner, you know? Now it's brought down the business committee. That was brought down the business committee. God, it's, it's, it's like Dutch Elm disease. It's everywhere. But the one thing, but yet in the middle of it all, Justice Wolf stands proud and unmoving and unmoved. Where he will remain until of a pensionable age. Yeah. And good man him. And then he'll take his ball and go home when he can yeah. afford many, many balls. Many balls. Many balls. Possibly a small ball on the south, the coast of the south of France, or in a, or perhaps near Taormina in Sicily, where the nice people go these days. I, I never found Seamus Wolf a particularly impressive attorney general, uh, but I will say his sheer obstinance in this case, because he thinks he's right, has actually made me like him far more. Now yeah. I'm told he's a bit of a prick to deal with. A, a caustic personality is the kind way of putting it, but I don't care about that. I don't care if Supreme Court judges are nice. Wait, you know what, Gary? Uh, if you were going to the world of successful lawyers, you're going to exclude every one of them on the basis that he had a caustic personality, you'd be thinning out the herd fairly dramatically. You know, I think that being caustic is is allowable, in, in, in both in lawyers and in judges. Anyway, it is what it is. We shall wait and see if the door collapses and... The president has to take over as an ex in a state of emergency. There was there was one thing I wanted to ask you, Michael, and it was whether or not you'd be interested in taking a bet on a political matter. Go on. And, uh, listeners, feel free to email me in if you want to get involved in this. So the doll, uh, Helen McEntee, the, the Minister for Justice, has said she's going to come forward with an amendment to a Labour bill which was aiming to make a revenge porn or what every NGO in the country has suddenly started calling sex or image-based sexual uh, assault or something of that nature sexual abuse a, sexual abuse because a memo very clearly went out mm. um, so she's going to bring an amendment to make the leak that happened and which we talked about in the previous episode legal but here's this michael will you take a bet 
that in the amendment that they put in, for which we know the penalty will be, I think the max penalty is seven years. Mm -hmm. Will you take a bet that when they do it, they will accidentally criminalize the sharing of professionally produced pornography under the law? (laughs) Because I think there's a non-zero chance that they will, and they won't even realize it until they've done it, depending on how much they reshape Labour's bill. If my bet is that they will make the sharing of pornography illegal, then I will take I will bet on that. No, no, I'm on that side. No, then I think we may go to Betfair and see what the markets are, because I have no, no, I would. I can absolutely see them doing it. I I give you I give you seven to one on that. That's exactly what they're going to do. I can see them putting in some ambiguous wording as to when you can uh, expect privacy in order to cover or take in the only fans thing and it just meaning that anyone who shares pornography with their friends because apparently that's a thing people do will uh, now be liable to uh, seven years and uh, god i hope they also arrange it so you end up in the sex offenders list that would be amazing uh, well indeed it may be a whole culture change it, it is apparent i've discovered and i don't know if this is a widespread practice I, I don't imagine it's very widespread, but apparently there is a culture where young people who enjoy lively and vigorous um, physical acts of love lives will make recordings of themselves engaged in said acts and with the consent and the knowledge of both, I say both, it, it may not be limited to one, to two people, Gary, or it may not even be limited, to, it can go from one to uh, whatever number you like. Yep. Animal, vegetable, or man? Well, I think there, there may be consent issues around animals, but, and legal issues, but uh, apparently these things are shared amongst them for the uh, the admiration of, of others. I suppose these are, I imagine, attractive people, because otherwise, you know, and in the case of ladies, well-built, uh, where ladies need to be well-built, and the young gentlemen well built where they need to be well built and uh, this is something they do i can imagine few things that would horrify me more but uh, that <laughs> in the sense of myself being involved but this is something that happens and i'm absolutely sure that that would become that would become something which will leave them liable to seven years in clink and a place on the sex offenders list um it will be a nightmare I did, I did read the Irish Council for Civil Liberties have made a submission on this uh, to the doll, Michael. Well, they've, they've sent it they've, made it, they've made the submission, and they've also emailed all TDs to tell them about the submission. I, I missed the part in the submission about civil liberties, about any kind of civil liberty concerns there might be on criminalising the spread of particular information or images. Apparently not a concern. Well, they're more an Irish council these days, really, aren't they? I think that's just you. Know, the other bit's just kind of old-fashioned and, you know, once upon a time feel to it. They're just the Irish council now. So, anyway, uh, I'm going to guess that today is Wednesday, and on that basis say that we'll probably be back on Friday. We should be. Uh, if we're all left by the Lord, as it were. And therefore, on that basis, I wish you a good uh, week and uh, We will talk again soon. Bye-bye. All the best.